Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to 10% Happier early and ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This is the 10% Happier Podcast. I'm Dan Harris. Hey, gang, it is very, very easy to be pessimistic, especially right now. But really, I should say it's always been the case. We humans have, as many of you know, an evolutionarily wired negativity bias, which can be super useful because it keeps us on guard for threats. But like all biases, it can also warp the way we see the world, which is why optimism can be incredibly helpful. And I'm not talking about blind optimism here. I'm talking about grounded, realistic, reasonable optimism. My guest today has come by this skill the hard way. Not only is she one of the boldest of the bold-faced names in the news business, where she is forced to confront crime, war, and natural disasters on the regular, but she's also come through two very serious and very public bouts of cancer. Robin Roberts is the longtime co-anchor of Good Morning America. She's got a new book called Brighter by the Day, in which she talks about how she has honed her optimism chops and how you can too. She requested that we do this interview in person, which is a rarity for this show these days. But uh, as you'll hear, it makes a significant difference. Robin has been my friend and colleague and role model for 22 years by my count. I've sat on the set of GMA with her countless times. We've covered major stories together. I have a vivid memory of being in Haiti with her in the aftermath of a devastating earthquake there. And we spent the night one night early on in our reporting trip with our respective teams, our producers, at the nearly demolished airport in the capital city of Port-au-Prince, where Robin and I slept next to one another on the tarmac. So a lot of memories and a lot of warmth that has been generated over the years. And you kind of hear this in the back and forth in-person banter in this conversation. Here's just a little preview of some of the things we talked about. How to strengthen your optimism muscle making one day, day one, that's one of her little mantras, operationalizing your goals. We talk about Robin's meditation practice. We talk about napping during meditation. We also talk about how Robin gets enough sleep given her crazy schedule. We talk about the notion of envisioning victory and flipping the script so that instead of thinking what could go wrong, you think what could go right. We'll get started with Robin Roberts right after this. This show is brought to you by BetterHelp. I got to tell you, I feel so much better when I talk about my anxiety instead of keeping it bottled up. There's an expression that I first heard from the great researcher and also Zen practitioner Robert Waldinger, never worry alone. Our temptation many times is to keep it bottled up, but... The data really show that the people who do the best in life, who live the longest and are the happiest, have strong relationships with people with whom they can talk about whatever's going on in their lives. And for me, therapy is part of that. If you're thinking of starting therapy, you might give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash happier today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash happier.
As they say at Amica, empathy is our best policy. Whether you need auto, home, or life insurance, they're ready to help you protect the things that matter most to you. They're a mutual company, customer-owned, in service to you. Amica representatives are here when you need them, and you can take comfort knowing a real person will be there on the phone to take care of you because the greatest measure of their success is your satisfaction. You can count on T-Mobile to help keep you connected after investing billions to light up their network from big cities to small towns. T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, when you switch to T-Mobile, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus Verizon and AT&T. Visit your neighborhood store or T-Mobile.com to switch. Plan savings with T-Mobile. Third line free on essentials via monthly bill, credits versus comparable available plans. Plan features may vary. Credits stop if you cancel or change plans. Hi, stranger. Stranger? Come on. You're my brother from another mother. You know that, Dan. I just haven't seen you in a while. <laughs> I know. Because I quit. And you're oh, still... you didn't quit. You didn't quit. You just moved on. Tired. Oh, you you evolved. I evolved. That's yes. the word. Do I evolved. seem evolved to you? Yeah. Well, you've always seemed evolved <laughs> to me. That's a totally another story. Yeah, right. She's being sarcastic there. Well, congratulations on your new book. It's really nice to see you. Can we talk about the book? Please. I am not skeptical, but let me feign skepticism to ask you something and let you respond to it. Okay. I can imagine some people saying, here's this happy morning news anchor coming along to tell me to be optimistic. She's even wearing a hashtag blessed purple sweatshirt right now, even though I can't see her. But Dan is telling me she's wearing it. So how do you respond to people who might be skeptical about your optimistic agenda? First of all, I'm never going to apologize for being the optimistic person that I am. And that took some time because I knew that people would kind of cock their head and go like, oh, you sure, you, it's easy for you to be optimistic for whatever reason, oh, your stature in life or the stature people feel you are in life. And what I say to them is like, I was you. I was you once upon a time. And it's about choice. And I, you know, I'm sorry, not sorry. <laughs> I choose to be happy. <laughs> I choose to find joy. I make it a choice. And there are some days, and I, even, and I even talk about it in the book, there are some days that I wake up, I'm not always like, oh, isn't this great? Look at the sky. Yeah. But what I do is I don't allow myself to string those days together. Hmm. I have those days, and I let people know you can have those days. But I used to apologize for being happy. Does that make, and it just, I can't even, it makes me shudder just to think that I did that. But it's like the default for most people is what could go wrong, not what could go right. And I choose to focus on those things that could possibly go right. Yeah, there's some things that go wrong, but got to change the way you think in order to change the way you feel. And when I'm in that funk, and when I come across somebody who's like, oh, sure, you're going to tell me. I can't tell you. I can show you some things that have worked for me. But until you get leverage on yourself and it's more painful not than to, uh, you know, that, but that's on them. We'll talk some of the practicalities sure, in sure. the book in a second. But 
basically what you're saying now is, even though my job is as a morning news anchor, and I understand the job since I used to do it too, my job is to be cheerful. But an authentic way. I will say this. I remember my mom. I miss her so much, Dan. She would call me after every show. I would call her after every show. And (laughs) I know sometimes I would call her and I go, hey, mom, how you doing? Good morning. I just saw you and you were, you know, you were, and now you're all, and I'm like, mom, does anybody want, good morning, America. I can't go on the air like that. But it's genuine. And people who really know me can tell when mm, it's just one of those days and I'm still, I don't like to fake the funk, but sometimes that's our job. Mm -hmm. And I find that if I just push through that by the end, maybe by eight o'clock, maybe not so much at seven o'clock, but about eight o'clock, it kind of kicks in and I'm like, oh, it is going to be a good day. That brings me to the other faux skeptical question I was going to ask you, which is, you talked about seven and eight o'clock. For people who don't watch much morning television, mm-hmm. seven o'clock is the first hour. We tend to do hard news in that hour. I love how you say we. You're still, you said we uh, tend to I do. You can't. Freudian slip. <laughs> Maybe I'm angling for my old <laughs> no, job no, back. You don't want it. You uh, don't want it. I, I, probably not. But the eight o'clock hour is where we get more human interest, exactly. lifestyle, uh, bargains, uh, fun stuff, silly stuff. I'm just wondering, given in that seven o'clock hour, how much pretty bad news we have to peddle. How do you recommend we stay optimistic in the face of the fact that the world is a dumpster fire often? What we have found and why people have tuned in to us, and we've been number one for 10 years, is because we will give you the facts. We won't sugarcoat it, but we will find some silver lining Some reason, for example, Ian Panel, our lead foreign correspondent, was in Afghanistan because it was the year since, you know, we pulled out of Afghanistan and people remember people, you know, charging the tarmac and on the plane. It was like terrible. And it's it's horrible things that have happened in the last year. So he, you know, he really spoke very frankly about the situation. But at the end, he found some silver lining. He talked about these group of women that were in the streets. And so people appreciate, they'll look at us and they'll watch and go, oh, okay. Oh, and then there's this something that we will add to the story that just helps you a little bit because people don't want to feel hopelessness. Give them a reason for hope. Our mutual friend, Diane Sawyer, taught me well ago, the stories that we do, yes, you want to create a reaction that leads to action. So we will give you the facts, even if they are bad, especially in that seven o'clock hour, but we find something in within the story, just something, some glimmer. And research has shown that's part of the reason why people watch us, because they know they're going to get the news, but they're also going to get some hope. I also think it's just more honest. One of the little expressions we use in the news business is, we don't report on the plane that lands safely. Now, that makes sense because it's not news that the plane lands safely, but it is the truth. And so I do think actually emphasizing, as long as you're not being Pollyanna-esque about it. Exactly. To emphasize what positive aspects there are to even the worst situations seems to me honest in the most holistic sense. I feel that deep down, that's... Even the most pessimistic person, they want that. They want just that little bit. They want you to be, and again, it's not being Pollyanna. It's being authentic. It's being real. 
But it's also, I think just deep down, all of us, even in, in the book, one of the things I say at the end of my book, Brighter by the Day, we're all stronger than we think we know. We all have that optimism in us. There's always something deep down that we don't realize. And so to try and bring that out in people and let them know that, yes, you do have that. And it's challenging at times because, as you said, what you say, a dumpster fire <laughs> or something that's going on? And I got to be honest, I love when someone says, I got to be honest with you, means I've been lying all up until this point. But now, but there's sometimes we're doing the rundown in the morning, you know, like 630, we're going through the show. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, why would anybody want to get out of bed? You know, I feel that way sometimes. And that's when we, you know, we rethink and say, okay, we still have to get this in. But, hey, let's find something. But I have that feeling, too, at times. What do you do on those mornings? <sighs> I'm trying to think of the last morning, and I remember the producer coming in, and there were like four stories in a row that were just really, I mean, I was like, come on, we can't do this to folks. And so we took one of them out. And again, we put it somewhere else. We put it, we still, you know, we're not going to hide the news, but it was just the stacking of it. It was just like, we can't keep like punching people in the face with something. Can't we let them catch their breath and then come back? And so it was just like restacking, reordering how we were going to lay out all the stories, but not, again, not hiding them, just kind of rejiggering them a little bit. Yeah. In Buddhism, we talk about right speech and it's say that which is true and which is useful and at the right time. Yes. Yes. Oh, I have never heard that. I like that. Can you write that down for me? <laughs> no, but that's so later. true. And really at the is. right time. Yes. Yes. Those are the variables. It's really important. It's not enough to just tell people the truth because, first of all, the truth, you can pick lots of different truths and give a picture that actually isn't fully accurate. But it's not enough to just tell somebody, you know, your breath stinks. You should pick the right time to tell them and figure out whether it's actually useful to tell them. You can do that. Yeah, that's good in relationships, too. The yes, right time to tell your significant other something. I screw it up all the time. <laughs> so this is aspirational, not <laughs> oh, operational, just gotcha. to be clear. So I want to go through some of the concepts in your book. You talk early on in the book about happiness versus joy. And I'm sitting across from somebody who has a book 10% happier, has a franchise 10% happier, but I'm going to talk about joy versus happiness. Happiness is good. Happiness is good. I'm with you right now. You're a longtime friend. Seeing you brought me joy, not happiness. I mean joy. You didn't even have to say it. You just came out of the bathroom, down the hall. I see you immediately. It brought me joy. Joy is just something that is, there's no rhyme or reason. Happiness, oh, I got that raise. Oh, my team won. Oh, the Saints. I love my Saints. You know, when they went on a Sunday, I get happy. But it's the joy that you have from seeing your son, the joy that you have, and he doesn't have to do a doggone thing. So that's what I talk about, joy versus happiness. And I just really ask people, what are those things that brought you joy? For example, as I'm maturing, not aging, maturing, a dear friend of mine who wrote my mother's memoir, Missy Buchanan, and she wrote a book about maturing. And she said something simple. She said, "What? just think about what brought you joy as a child. And I said to myself, tennis. I haven't played tennis in forever. And Dan, a couple of years ago, I started playing again. 
Amber even remarks, when I put on my tennis gear and I got my tennis racket and I go out to hit with the pro, you should just see me. I'm that kid again in Mississippi. Joy. So I challenge people. Remember those times. What were those times, especially when you were younger, when you didn't have a mortgage and all those things? Whatever. What brought you joy? I ask you, Dan Harris, what is the thing that you did or something that just brought you joy? Playing the drums. There you go. Do you play? I do. If I'm hearing you correctly, what you're saying is take an inventory, think of the things that bring you joy instead of being wistful about them and nostalgic, operationalize it now in your life. And that's what I did with the drums. I bought myself a drum set. I got my son, who was six at the time and is now seven, lessons. We play together. I play when he's out of the house, and it is the happiest time of the day. Exactly. And when I brought my tennis racket, I had not played tennis. I couldn't even remember the last time I had played. And so when I researched and saw, I want to hit with a pro, who can I find? I got to get the gear again. I can't play with my wooden racket anymore. I got to get a new rack. So yeah, it's taking that inventory and then taking action. It's also what I talk about in the book. Instead of saying, you know, one day, one day I'm going to play again. I made it day one. I flipped it from one day to day one. And that day one, when I was back there on the court, instead of talking about it, actually getting out there again, and it's just that that being intentional. And so many times we're just so wistful. We're like, oh, and I'm like, what? No, not one, day one. Not one day, day one. That is actually one of the things I was going to ask you about. Make your one day your day one. You're really saying, if you're talking about this in a way that maybe I'll get to it, you're doing yourself a disservice. You know how many people right now listening are going, oh, that's right. You know, I'm often, how many times has someone said to them, you know, one day, one day I'm going to learn another language. One day I'm going to play the drums again. Just think about that. Those people who are thinking about that one, that saying that. And just, so what if they said to themselves, all right, tomorrow's day one. Tomorrow, day one, I'm going to, I'm actually going to take the steps to make this a reality and not some wistful wish and thinking. And you don't know, like, I, I, you know, playing drums would bring me horror, not joy. <laughs> uh, somebody, you know, when I say tennis, the, you know, the thought of playing. T- so only you know yeah. what that joy is. And just take the time. And that's something else that you and I have both talked about. And I talk a, a lot in my book, being mindful, just taking just we're it, it's such a rat race that we're on. We're always trying to get to point B into point C and just being still being quiet. My grandma Sally called it quiet time. She didn't realize she was meditating, but she just called it quiet time. And it was just settling and listening to your inner self instead of all the all the outward chatter. I was thinking about somebody I was talking to recently, and they said they stopped picking up their phone the first thing in the morning. That's the, They used to reach for their phone and go through their social media and that. And they said they realized it was like a thousand people screaming at them in their bedroom. Mm -hmm. Wow. And made a conscious effort in saying, no, I'm not going to pick up my phone first thing in the morning. It's just, again, just getting to know yourself and taking that time. And it's not as hard as some people feel that I have a full, I have more than a full-time job. I got lots of different jobs. We all can make excuses, but I choose to make myself a priority. I choose to make my well-being a priority. And yet, you you are definitely walking the walk. I can attest to how busy you are. It's 
superhuman. And yet we do know from the science that human behavior change, habit formation is diabolically hard. So I can hear people right. listening to this. I know that you and I are both summoning people who are not in the room in our minds <laughs> right. to, to address whatever concerns they might have. I can hear people saying, ah, you know, I get it. Make your one day your day one. But man, I'm just not good at motivating. I would say to them, really? You're saying that to yourself. Have you said it so long to yourself that you believe it? I found myself, this is a, a small example, um, grew up playing sports, sportscaster, ESPN, all I ever wanted to do. People would try to pull me into news, wanting me to be a news journalist. And I would say, no. Every market where I worked, the news director would come to the sports department and say, hey, kid, come over here. You can make more money, more prestige. I say, no. Got to ESPN, still saying no. And then I realized I was saying no out of habit when I had the opportunity to go on to Good Morning America. My first reaction was no. And then I was like, is it really no? Or is I just get in the habit of saying no? And so for someone who said, I'm just not, motiv-, have you been telling yourself that for so long that you believe it? Stop where you are right now. Do you still feel that way? Maybe you felt that way five, 10 years ago or whatever point in your life. Don't assume that's how you feel now. So that's what I would say to somebody who's saying, I'm not motivated. I would, I'd want to know, like, why are you saying that? What's leading you to say that? What's leading you to believe that? And let's see if we can unwrap that and change the way you think. Well said. You talked about quiet sitting. The last time you were on the show, which was a while ago, and some of our listeners may not have heard it, you talked about your own meditation practice. Yes. So I want to get you to just sort of tell that story again, how you got into meditation and what it does for you now. Oh, my goodness. We don't have enough time, but I, I, I'll get into it. Because I was one of those. You were talking about somebody who's saying, hey, but I'm not motivated. I was one of those. I can't meditate. You're crazy. I can't stop my thoughts. No, I'm alive. You're not supposed to stop your thoughts. <laughs> and so once I realized that, that was a big help. But what really brought me to it, a mutual friend and one of your former colleagues, my current colleague, George Stephanopoulos. And I remember something was happening on Good Morning America. And... I mean, I can't remember what it was, but I just remember the feeling. And I was just, oh, I mean, the hair in the back of my neck was standing up. And I turned to, to, to George. And I said, dude, what, what? I said, what are you doing? And he told me about the meditation, transcendental meditation that he does. And so he set me up with his instructor, Bob Roth. And I was now in a place to, it's kind of how you said, you, you can, you, it was the right time. It was the right time because I was ready. And before, if I tried it, it would not have happened, but I was ready. And he gave me the instructions and, you know, the mantra and all these things. And first time, woo, it was great. Seeing colors and things. I think this is some good, you know what? All right. I go home and I'm doing it on my own and I'm not feeling it. I'm like, oh my gosh. I'm like, oh, it's not like it was that first time. And so I went back for a refresher course with Bob and he said, what's the deal? And I was like, you know, Bob, you know, when I did it with you and, you know, early on, I was really feeling, you know, I was really in the moment and, you know, all this. And he said, Robin, meditation is like a big pool of water. There's a shallow end and there's a deep end. You got wet. Don't be so concerned about if you were in the shallow end of the pool. You still got wet. And once he said that, 
it took off all those expectations of, quote unquote, chasing that high again. And I realized that even those times that I thought it wasn't so deep, I felt the benefits of it later. I remember Amber, my dear partner of 17 years, and I was picking her. I came from the office and I had to pick her up and we were going to the airport. And I got to our place and she, I called up and said, I'm down in the car. We got, we got to go. And she said, oh my gosh, I overslept. I'll be down as soon as I can. And she came rushing down to the car and she got in the car and she looked at me because she was all ready for me to go. Aah! And I was like, if we get there in time, we get there in time. If not, we'll get another flight. She looked at me like, you meditated today. <laughs> and that's an example. And it's true. I was just like, it just, it's, it calms and energizes at the same time. I am more creative since I started meditating about five or six years ago than I have ever been. And it's for those people who are shaking their heads going, I can't meditate. I can't stop my thoughts. I've been there. I understand it. Some days are better than others. And some days I'm really consistent. Some For a stretch of time, I'm really consistent with doing it. And other times I'm not. I don't beat myself up, get back on the track with it. And what it has really done is brought a calm and peace and and this crazy energy at the same time. It's the oddest thing. And it's just, again, having no expectations. It's the one time in the day, Dan, because you know, especially as a journalist and being on a morning show, there are expectations out the wazoo for you. But when I meditate... There are absolutely no expectations. It's the one time in my day or twice in my day where there are no expectations. You talked about crazy energy. I'm interested in that because you wake up at 3.30 in the morning and then you go pretty hard all day long. Shot out of a cannon. So how, I mean, how do you have energy at all? I mean, I've done that job and it was a crusher for me. Meditation has helped because it used to, and it's so odd for me right now because I can't even remember a time now when I was drained in the morning. There, I mean, way back when, before I was meditating, I didn't even realize I was sleepwalking through life. I felt that if somebody met me for the first time about 11 o'clock in the morning, they would have thought I was an idiot because I couldn't put two words together because I was just so, just I was just exhausted. The meditation, for whatever reason, and I thought the same thing. I'm like, so I'm going to get up earlier to meditate instead of sleep, and that's going to get me more energized. It didn't make sense to me, but it's true. It's true because it's just the settling of my mind. Yeah, and thoughts will come in. I'll have thoughts in the morning when I'm meditating, going, oh my gosh, you know, I've got a flight to LA, I'm going to Ghana for this, and which is all true. And then I, the thoughts come in and I just push them to the side, go back to my mantra. And then when I complete my meditation, I'm not anxious about the trips I have to take. I'm not anxious about seven o'clock and having this, you know, dumpster fire that that is the world. And that, that comes from my meditation. And I cannot remember a time that I didn't meditate. And I just wish that, it's not that people didn't tell me earlier in life, it's just that I wasn't ready, it wasn't the right time. I wasn't ready to accept it. And you really helped too, Dan, because what you said, I love 10% happier. I remember when I asked you like, what do you mean by that? And you went like, if you got 10% back on your investment, you'd be happy. I was like, yeah, well, that's it. See, we're always going for the macro. 
And it's taught me to the micro is what it's all about. And it builds to the macro instead of always chasing that, you know, the behemoth. And it's like I say about brighter by the day, not trying to get brighter by the week or the month or the year. Just how about today? How about just today be a little bit brighter? Coming up, Robin Roberts on the benefit of putting in the hard work, the importance of sleep and strengthening our optimism muscle to be prepared for adversity. Right after this. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash happier. Just go to Indeed.com slash happier right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash happier. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Audible lets you enjoy all your audio entertainment in one app. You will always find the best of what you love or something new to discover. They offer an incredible selection of audiobooks across every genre, from bestsellers and new releases to celebrity memoirs, mysteries and thrillers, motivation, wellness, business, and more. What I've been checking out recently is called Our Share of Night. It's technically, I guess, a horror, but it's definitely literature. I mean, it's incredibly well-written, absolutely fascinating, and it really does rhyme with some of the themes that we explore uh, on this show. I highly recommend it, although I'm only uh, through the, the first 15-20% of it, but already I highly recommend it. As an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash 10% or text 10% to 500-500. That's audible.com slash 10% or text 10% to 500-500 to try Audible free for 30 days. Audible.com slash 10%. That's what I see when I look through the topics we're going to cover from Brighter by the Day, the new book. You're talking about a series of accumulating and compounding small wins, not, hey, here's one solution to all of your problems after another. No. And I'm glad you said that, because if I had that, I'd be the richest person in the world and everybody would be walking around happy and reaching all their goals. It's not that simple. It's not that easy to do. But what I do show people is this step-by-step Eventually, it can get to that. That is not going to happen. And we live in a microwave world right now. You want to get married? Go on The Bachelor. You want, like, everything is instant. Oh, you want to be a rock star? Here, American Idol. You can be, you know, you don't have to go through what everybody else did. So a lot of people have that kind of mindset. And I'm saying, hey, you know, it worked out for a lot of people. Kelly Clarkson, you know, hey, she's done really well. But the vast majority, that's not going to happen for us. We're going to have to put in the work. We're going to have to put in the day by day. And just how you said, cumulative. And I got to say, as a lot of people will say, you know, youth is wasted on the young and you, you want it now. I am so glad to be in this season of my life 
enlightened as I am, it would have been wasted on me way back. It just would have been. And yes, so I give people the step-by-step. Instead of just my sayings, my mantras, and things like that, I put some meat on the bones. I try and give people examples of you know dreaming big and focusing small, which is a, a big thing with me. Everybody has that big dream, and I did too. But I, yeah, my first job, $5.50 an hour, 30 hours a week working in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, and was happy to have that as a position on air in sports. And it's just just letting people know that those small steps can lead to that big whatever it is that you want. Think small, dream big. Meaning you can have a big dream, but don't expect to put yourself in the microwave and get it. You've got to do the hard spade work along the way. And it's so much more gratifying. It leads to... I had an opportunity four years out of college to go to ESPN. That's the first time ESPN tried to hire me, four years out of college. I had only worked in two local markets at that time. And I said no. I turned them down. Because I didn't just want to get to ESPN. I wanted to stay there. Mm. I wanted staying power. I knew I wasn't ready. I knew that I didn't have enough to keep me there. So... That's what I'm saying. Putting in the work, there's such a benefit. And it's harder for people to understand sometimes, not understand. I mean, of course, who doesn't want to you know, win the lottery? But how many times have we seen those people who win the lottery, what happens? Doesn't end well. It doesn't end well. Now, I'd like to bust that myth. <laughs> you know, let me win mega millions. I'll, I'll change that. But the vast majority don't do well. And it's just that when it's instantaneous, it's just not as gratifying. I think deep down, we do want to do the work. We want to feel that we've earned it. We don't want any, no one wants anything handed to them. No one does. Here's a little secret about me. I am addicted to rock documentaries. Uh, I will watch any of them and they're always the same story. Group of people get together They make a few hit songs. They have meteoric success. They get addicted to drugs. They break up. Always the same story. And I can watch it over and over again. And and I think it's similar to the lottery thing. You think you know what you want. You Mm. think you know what you want, which is limitless money or limitless fame and all the mates you can possibly conjure. (laughs) That's a nice way of putting it. It doesn't lead to abiding happiness. No. Oprah, long time ago, she said, fame and fortune, it just accentuates, heightens the what you are to begin with. Yeah. If you come into a lot of money and a lot of recognition and you're a good person, yeah, you can be an even greater person. If you're not and you come into a lot of uh, all that, you're just a you're just a bigger schmuck. It, it doesn't really, I don't think it changes you. It just heightens what's there to begin with. Can I just go back to your day-to-day for a second? Because having done your job in the past, I'm just curious about it. So you're up at 3.30, you're doing your 20 minutes of TM. Do you nap at any time during the day? And when do you go to bed? Like, how do you actually keep your body functioning? Oh, great question. Oh, you, ah, that journalist in you, it comes out. (laughs) Sleep is so underrated. Sleep, I'm telling you, I... Again, it coincided with the meditation when I made it a priority. Charlie Gibson, another f- friend of ours, said to me when I first started working in morning television, saying, you are going to get invited to everything, but be too tired to go to anything. <laughs> you know? And I was like, oh, no, I'm not. And yes, yeah, 
So answer your question. I used to think, oh, one of those. One of those. I only need four hours. I can be fine. No, you can't. No, none of us can. And so as much as it pains me, especially because I love college basketball and during March Madness, I want to see those West Coast games. I am lights out no later than 9 p.m. when I can. Like there's sometimes I have to go up, but I mean, on, on average, I am lights out by 9 p.m. Amber purchased us a blackout shade because sometimes, especially in the summer, it ain't dark by that time. <laughs> yeah. And so again, being conscientious about it and making it a priority, which I have with the sleep. And do I nap? Sure. And sometimes my meditation, does it turn into a nap? Sometimes. And I was told that's okay. It is okay. It is. I used to think, oh no, I'm beating myself. No, that's my body telling me that I need the rest. And so making it again a priority and sleep, I'm telling you, is another thing that changed my life. Because I was on average getting about four tops five hours of sleep. Now I get minimum six and a half to seven, minimum. And that's saying a lot for someone who's getting up and you're invited to things and there are things that I want to see at night, but I just make it a priority. And that's, again, I know I've been using that word a lot, but that's what you do. What are you going to make a priority? And once you make it a priority, once you say this is important, you will find a way for you to make it happen. Because I know there's some people who are listening and go, well, Robin, Dan, you know, I got kids, so, you know, at night I got to put them to sleep. And then I only have, if I only have this portion of time for myself at night. And so I don't want to go to bed because I, I haven't had, again, what's most important and how are you going to be better for your children than if you take that time for yourself first? I'm going to keep working through some of these concepts from the book. Change the way you think to change the way you feel. What does that mean? What does that mean? You know how sometimes something has bothered you, something like something happened or whatever, and then you forgot about it. And then you actually spend the energy, what was I mad about? And you make yourself think again what it was that you got upset about. I don't know why, and I've been guilty of, of doing that as well. I have found that when I am just like, I'm exhausted or just not feeling my best, and I'll just stop, I'll acknowledge that. That's one thing I've also done in recent years, that I would only acknowledge the good thoughts or only acknowledge the good feelings. No, if I'm down or depressed, I acknowledge it and go, okay, why are you visiting me? What do you want? And sometimes it's like a little kid that's like pulling at your leg pant, and then you finally say, what do you want? And they go, nothing. That's how it is sometimes with this bad feeling. It's like, I acknowledge you. What do you want? And they're like, I didn't think you were going to pay attention to me. I don't really want anything, but oh, okay, thanks for acknowledging me. And so that's what I'm saying about changing the way you think. And it feels so good when you actually have taken that time and you bit just in a bad place and you, you just stop in your tracks and go, no, no, that's it. I'm not, no, I'm not going to. I'm not going to feel this way and just have a happy thought, do something, think about, oh, I'm going to, oh, that's right. I'm going to play tennis this weekend. I haven't played in a couple of weeks and I, I really am thinking that right now. Uh, and that will get me, that will change the way I feel at this moment. Does that run the risk of denial or compartmentalization? I'm glad you asked that because I am not someone who's always happy or, or denying the feelings that I have that are negative. I acknowledge them. I 
honor them as I do the good feelings. And when I say honor them, I don't put them up on a pedestal, but I honor them by acknowledging them and saying, you are in me right now. I do see you. I do feel you. What in the heck do you want? And nine times out of 10, it really doesn't want anything. I've conjured something up in my head that doesn't really exist. And when I take the time and realize, well, oh gosh, Robin, what are you doing? And just move on. Let me tell two stories from the meditation world that will back you up. One is I heard this great Dharma talk once. That's kind of a term of art for when you're on a meditation retreat and the teacher gets up and gives a talk in the Mm -hmm. evening. And the, the teacher was talking about how he was meditating in the backyard in a tent and his cats kept trying to get in. And it was so annoying. He was trying to meditate and concentrate and the cats were just attacking the side of the tent. And he finally got up and let the cats in, and all they wanted to do was curl up at his feet. And he said, that is the way we are with a lot of our difficult emotions. We keep them at bay, we keep them at bay. I love this. But if we just let them in, all they want to do is be seen, and then they curl up. The second thing I wanted to say is that it is very common for great meditation teachers to use a television analogy when talking about our mind states, which is, change the channel. Oh, yes. So if you're stuck despising somebody difficult in your life, you can say, is there anything I admire about them? Can I focus on some good quality? And there are any number of ways to change the channel. And that doesn't mean you're denying the difficulty you're experiencing. You're just not giving into it wholly. Amen. Thank you. I love those two stories, especially the cat story. Well, I knew it would be a cat because you, we, I know we used to give you such grief on the air about your love for cats. I do love cats. I know you do. But that's, I'm glad that you put it that way because it's so true. It's so absolutely true. But I can just see the cats and then they come in and that's how your emotions are. And they get in and then you're like, that, that's all you wanted? And you conjure up something so worse than what it actually is. I made notes of things that I thought were really interesting from your book, so I'm going to ask you about them until we run sure, out of time. Sure, sure. Envision your victory. What does yes! that Yes! Oh, because this goes back to the athlete in me, Dan. And I remember like, oh, did you know I was the state bowling champion in Mississippi at Is the age true? of 12? It's true. It's true. Age of 12. Because that was the only thing they'd let a girl do in sports back then. That was pre-Title IX. And so, okay, you, that's all you're going to let me do? Bowl? I, you know, I got books on it. I would go to the bowling alley. I just bowl, bowl, and then I became a champ. Do you still bowl? You know, I occasionally. It doesn't bring me the joy that tennis did because I got so competitive with bowling. So now it conjures up different feelings, but I still enjoy it. But I would actually get up on the lane, as I'm doing, like I'm walking with you right now, look at the pins, and I would visualize all the pins down. I would actually visualize the strike. And then I would go and I'd roll the ball and it happened a great deal. But I envisioned the strike before I actually did it. It's actually, again, instead of thinking what could go wrong, think about what could go right. Why do you spend energy? And I've been guilty and we all are. I think of all the endless possibilities of why something could go wrong. And it's just, instead of envisioning victory. Instead of that, envisioning all that could go right. I mean, I challenge people right now. The thing that they think is, you know, they got something on their mind, something that the if they just flip the script, and that's what I'm talking about when I say envision victory. 
But Robin, I'm going to bring back into the room all of our listeners who are saying, don't I need to plan for all the horrible things that could happen at any given moment? You're going to have the skill set to handle those things because you have done all these things that we're talking about. When the bottom falls out, because you've gotten in the habit, which I talk about, optimism is like a muscle that gets stronger with use. It becomes your default. It becomes your go-to when those things start happening that are seemingly out of your control. But because you've gotten in the habit of being positive, because you've been positive on purpose, which is one section of my book, being positive on purpose, it's not going to prevent those things from happening, but it's going to help you when they do happen. It's like when I was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2007, and I was angry. I thought I'd done all the right things. I was athletic, moderate drinker, did not smoke. All the things that, you know, they're supposed to lessen your chances for cancer. Get diagnosed, talking to my doctor, I'm angry. I get through chemo, radiation, the surgery, and I'm doing well. And the doctor said, those things that you did did not prevent cancer, but boy, sure helped you kick its butt. And so that's how I look at it Mm. when people say, okay, when the bottom falls out, how's that going to work? Well, because you've done the homework, because you've done the work on yourself, when those things happen, and they will happen, you're going to be better prepared to tackle them and take them on. Let me give you another Dharma story about worrying and how we can overdo it. I, for a long time, was a devout believer in the power of worry. My dad had an expression that the price of security is insecurity. Ooh, It's a great thing to tell your children. So I, one day, I mentioned this to my meditation teacher, and I was like, yeah, if I miss this flight home, am I not justified in worrying about all the bad things that could happen if I miss my flight? And he said, look, maybe on the 17th time that you're running through all the horrible ramifications of a missed flight, ask yourself this question. Is this useful? Mm. And he's saying, I'm not Mm. saying never worry. Just don't worry past the point of utility. Thank you. Thank you. That's it. That's good. That's good. And that's so true. And when you look at it like that, it's saying that you can't or you're wrong for doing that, worrying. Of course, we all have fear. Fear just needs the eye of a needle to get through and it just paralyzes you. It's just knowing, and and I think I'm a, a walking, breathing example of this too shall pass. Just let it pass. Just let that, just acknowledge it. It's okay. Yes, I'm not a bad person. Oh my gosh. Meditation. Oh, it didn't work because I'm worried. Yeah, no, none of that. And just, again, I ta- often talk about just don't wallow in that state. Don't stay in that state. It's okay when you're there and you're not a bad person and you haven't failed. It's just don't stay there. I think you're saying don't stay there and get in the habit of envisioning the victory. Yes, get in the habit because you have endless things in your mind that you're thinking could go wrong. Endless. What is that? I'm going to butcher it, but it's something like a lot of things have happened to me in life, some of which actually happened. This is Mark Twain. The worst things in my life never actually happened. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And it's true. It's true. But in our mind, they did, but they actually did not happen. But in our mind, they have. And that's just a waste of energy. 
it's a waste of energy and a positive use of energy is to visualize the victory. Spend that energy toward yes. that. Yes. Envision the victory. And it's not envisioning victory. Like I can't personally envision being in the NBA because I'm five seven, <laughs> yeah, height maybe five eight yeah. when I use oh, volumizing yeah. shampoo. So I can't we're not talking about envisioning right, impossible right. victories here. You're talking about envisioning things that are within your grasp that you can do. Exactly. But when you say that, I just watched a documentary on Muggsy Bogues. That documentary, I'm telling you, he was, I mean, he could barely see over this table that we're sitting at right now. And he went on not only just to be in the NBA, but he excelled. And so I'm not going to tell anyone that it's unrealistic. I know where you're going, but who are we to say to anyone that what they are dreaming or what they are hoping for. And I have to kind of catch myself because sometimes I'll have a young person come into my office and they want advice on the industry. And oftentimes they want to be on air. And I'm talking with them and I'm watching their tape and I'm thinking, yikes, I don't really know if this person, you know, if it's realistic for them to, but I'm not going to say that to them. And, you know, there, there are times that we defy the odds, but I do agree with you in somewhat being real about those things that you set for yourself. But I can't even really get that out because I never want to squash somebody's dream. Fair enough. Yeah. Coming up, Robin talks about uh, making the decision to be positive on purpose. And she talks about how she sometimes goes back to the wisdom in her own book when she's facing personal challenges. After this. It's spring and that means it's graduation season. And I've got an idea for an incredibly fun graduation gift or party favor. Did you know that you can get personalized M&Ms? You can choose from over 20 colors and add your graduate's name, graduation-themed graphics, or photos, which are printed directly on the candy. I recently got a sample of some of these personalized M&Ms. Uh, they showed up in my mailbox. They got my face on them, which makes it a little bit awkward for me to eat them personally. I'm doing it anyway. The M&Ms I got also include the words 10% happier, to which I have a deep attachment. I was kind of thrilled uh, when I saw them. I was wondering if they were a gift from somebody on the uh, 10th anniversary of the 10% Happier book. Turns out they weren't. They were a gift from uh, M&Ms, who are now a sponsor of this show. So thank you, M&Ms, uh, for sponsoring this show and for the delicious treat. You can visit MMS.com to create your own unique custom gifts and memorable party favors for graduations, weddings, birthdays, and more. That's MMS.com. Use code HAPPIER to receive 15% off your next order. I love cats. I make no secret of that. We've got four cats. But here's the thing about felines. They poop a lot. You need kitty litter, and you need that kitty litter to do the job which is why I'm proud to recommend Tidy Care Alert, which has long-lasting ammonia control so your house or your apartment or your yurt or wherever you live does not smell like you have four cats or however many cats you happen to have. No judgment here. It's low dust and lightweight, which means no lugging heavy bags of cat litter up the stairs, and it's from the brand most often recommended and personally used by veterinarians. Tidy Care Alert uses color-changing crystals to detect potential concerns and help put your mind at ease. Let Tidy Care Alert help keep an eye on your cat's health. Mm -hmm. 
You mentioned before positivity on purpose. Yeah. Can you say what you mean by that? Oh, it's kind of what I was saying about optimism, being a muscle that gets stronger with use. On purpose doing it. It boils down to everything being a choice and being purposeful. And so when I say be positive on purpose is there's things that will haphazardly happen. But those times when you're faced with something and you could either be negative or positive, choose to be positive on purpose. You could very well just go like, there's no way I can't do this or I don't, or, or whatever. And then you on purpose say, no, I am not going to see the glass half empty or half full. I'm going to see the glass. That's what I mean about being on purpose, if that makes sense to you. So see the glass, meaning it's not half full, it's not half empty. It's the it's, glass! It's the glass. You got a freaking glass. Right. Can you, can you be happy with the glass? Why do you have to be so concerned? Oh, it's, I don't, it's half empty, it's half full. No, you got a glass. A lot of people don't even have a glass. That's what I mean about being on purpose. Those are the things I'm talking about. You've got to spot these things. And there are things all through your day. If you just take the time to just to spot them. Queen Elizabeth died recently. And I was it was raining cats and dogs. And then all of a sudden a rainbow came out. Out of nowhere. I mean, you know how England. I mean, it was raining like you wouldn't believe. And it was announced that she had passed. And it was like almost symbolic of her. Like she even brought light into darkness. And just that moment, you know, it's those things, you know, spot that rainbow. How many times do people actually, you know, spot those different rainbows in your life that are happening during the day? And again, just the littlest thing. And those become compounding habits because then you're rewiring our innate negativity bias, which we evolved for to be able to spot threats. But And we need it to a certain extent, but you can also train its opposite, which is our capacity to be grateful for all the little awesome stuff that we otherwise might overlook. And the word you just said, train. Yes. Yes. Okay, so we're calling it a skill, but let's be honest, you've had many challenges in your life. You referenced 2007 breast cancer diagnosis. I believe it was 2010 when you were diagnosed with cancer. 12, yeah, 2012, I was the very treatment that saved my life, put it in peril, myelodysplastic syndrome, which is a bone marrow disorder. So the chemicals, the treatments that they used on me, and I'm not... Regretting it all, I had triple negative breast cancer. I was 46. They had to throw the kitchen sink at me, and they did, and it saved me. Unfortunately, I fell into that small percentile that that medication put my life in jeopardy again in 2012, and I needed a successful bone marrow transplant. In 2012, I was told, you have a year to two to live unless you have a successful bone marrow transplant. And thankfully, my sister was a perfect match. And there was already, they already checked the registry, and there was no one that was a match. And a family member is only a match three out of 10 times. So I beat the odds just with the fact that my sister was a match. But I'll tell you a little bit of a funny story, and it's true. So doctors tell me this, and I'm, you know, I'm just like, you gotta be kidding me. I understand with breast cancer, make your mess your message. And I got the message out about early detection because I detected it early on that it helped. So this happens and I'm like, what is the message in this? And it's like, oh, get people to register on on, uh, the bone marrow registry. And I didn't realize, I thought it would be automatic. I have three great siblings and I thought surely one would be a match. And when the doctor told me, no, 
chances are they're not. And you're going to probably have to find someone. And I went to my mother and my father had passed away a few years before that. And I went to my mom and I said, you know, Butch and Dorothy, my brother and sister, had already been ruled not a match. It was still on the table that Sally Ann could, but we weren't sure. So I went to my mom and I told her that. And I said, I got to ask you something, Mama. She's like, yeah. Does Daddy have any more kids out there? <laughs> I, I, I was like, and she, oh mercy! No, hey, you know, you know, I don't know, I don't know. He was, you know, he was in the military. He's a fly boy, Tuskegee Airman. He was looking good. I'm fighting for my life here, Mama. But I also, and I did that, and it also cracked her up. But yes, to get back to what you were initially saying, I have faced my challenges. So. Being in the state that I'm in, it's not because I've had this perfect life. No one. I am the most imperfect, perfect person that you'll ever meet. And you have a challenge right now, just to say. Yes, my my love of my life, Amber, is currently facing breast cancer. And it's been very difficult for this role reversal. She has been by my side through my two battles as my caregiver. And now I'm hers. And as much as I, you know, people keep saying to me, oh, boy, you must really be helping her because you've gone through it. She's helping me be a caregiver. She's helping me understand because she's been through it twice. And it is this helpless feeling when a loved one is going through something. And I have had those down moments. And I have had to go to the vault in my mind and go like, okay, Robin, pick up your book. <laughs> you know, because sometimes and we're all guilty of this. I'll, I can preach a storm. And then even Amber was the one when I was kind of down about her and just uh, like, oh, my. And she was like, didn't you just write a book? (laughs) Maybe we need to read a few chapters. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. And thankfully, my automatic default is to, okay, we got this. I'm going to think about all the things that could go right about her diagnosis, not those things that could go wrong. And in the beginning, I was focusing on all the things that could go wrong. But she was diagnosed end of 2021. She was diagnosed, had her surgery in early 21, completed her radiation in the summer of 2022. And it's going to be a long road. It has been a long road. And I am so proud of her. She's a Northern Cal girl. She's earthy, crunchy, and, you know, just, but it's been challenging as a caregiver to watch a loved one. You know this. You went through this, Dan. I remember my wife and I used to see Amber in Soul Cycle all the oh, time. Oh, that's She's right. A very yeah. active yeah, person, very. and I hope to see her back there. Yeah. And I would just say, in closing here, you kind of gently made fun of yourself a little bit for not applying your own wisdom in in this very trying moment. But the original translation of the word mindfulness. The ancient word for mindfulness is sati, S-A-T-I. It's in an ancient language called Pali. We now translate it as mindfulness, but the original translation was Mm. remembering. Uh. And we can learn so many useful things. That's the easy part. The hard part is remembering. And you ultimately remembered, and that's what counts. Oh, thank you, Dan. I've never heard that. And... I do a morning message and prayer on my social media. And you know how many times people will say to me, thanks for reminding me. And I will say that. I'm not saying anything that's brand new. It's just reminding you of something that you've known all along. 
And thank you for saying what you just did, because again, I would say that to other people, but I didn't even realize that's what I was doing myself when it comes to Amber and where she is. Thank you. That's what friends are for. That's what friends are for. Let's bring some Dionne Warwick into this. Oh, she's going to be on my new season of uh, Turning the Tables. Dionne Warwick. Dionne Warwick. Turning the Tables, season two on Disney+. Plus. Check it out. Hosted Emmy Award winning. Oh, you saw I was going to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Emmy Award winning show from Robin Roberts. You should check that out. Aside from her book, Writer by the Day, and the fact that you can see her every morning on Good Morning America. Lots of Robin Roberts for you to access. I encourage you to do it all. Namaste. Thank you so much for Thank coming Thank you, on. Dan. Love you. Thanks. Love you. Big thanks to Robin Roberts. Really great to see her. Just a quick reminder, her book is Brighter by the Day, and season one of Turning the Tables with Robin Roberts won her an Emmy, and season two is in the works. You can find it on Disney+. Plus. I want to thank as well everybody who works so hard to make this show a reality. 10% Happier is produced by Gabrielle Zuckerman, DJ Kashmir, Justine Davey, and Lauren Smith. Our senior producer is Marissa Schneiderman. Kimmy Regler is our managing producer, and our executive producer is Jen Poyant. Scoring and mixing by Peter Bonaventure of Ultraviolet Audio. We'll see you all on Friday for a bonus meditation. If you like 10% Happier, and I hope you do, Uh, You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com slash survey. I'm Shimol Yai, and I have a new podcast called The Competition. Every year, 50 high school senior girls compete in a massive scholarship competition. I wouldn't say I have an ego problem, but I'm extremely competitive. All of the competitors are used to being the best and the brightest, and they're all vying for a huge cash prize. This will probably be the most intense that you've ever gone through in your life. I remember that feeling because I was one of them. I lost. But now I'm coming back as a judge and also a kind of teen girl anthropologist. Because if you want to understand what it's like to be a young woman in America today, the competition's not a bad place to start. Hopefully no one will die on station night. From Pineapple Street Studios and Wondery, this is The Competition. Follow The Competition on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to The Competition early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. For more than two centuries, the White House has been the stage for some of the most dramatic scenes in American history. Inspired by the hit podcast American History Tellers, Wondery and William Morrow present the new book, The Hidden History of the White House. Each chapter will bring you inside the fierce power struggles, the world-altering decisions, and shocking scandals that have shaped our nation. You'll be there when the very foundations of the White House are laid in 1792, and you'll watch as the British burn it down in 1814. Then you'll hear the intimate conversations between FDR and Winston Churchill as they make plans to defeat Nazi forces in 1941. And you'll be in the Situation Room when President Barack Obama approves the raid to bring down the most infamous terrorist in American history. Pre-order The Hidden History of the White House now in hardcover or digital editions wherever you get your books.